Ellis East Elementary School walkthrough, May 18th, Classroom 1C. This room mirrors Classroom 1B with the axis of symmetry being the hallway. In the back northwestern corner of the room, there is a small patch of tiled floor that is black and white, like the pattern of a chessboard. The southern wall is a row of built-in bookshelves from floor to ceiling, and the northern wall is a black chalkboard. The western wall has the customary row of windows, and the eastern wall has an empty frame where the bulletin board used to be, painted white like the rest of the room. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, Assistant Professor of Architectural History, Hollingsworth University, June 15th, 5 a.m. It's a few minutes past nautical dawn, so the sun has not yet risen, but I'm taking a walk in the soft purpley light. The dogs and Billy are still asleep, but I woke up a half an hour ago and needed to get out and get some fresh air. Yesterday was gray and uneventful. It smelled strongly of rain in the aftermath of the storm. It drizzled on and off, so the grass was a hypersaturated green. The gray sky made a sharp contrast. This morning, it is damp. And it's supposed to rain later. I don't think it will storm again. However, it is an airy summer morning before the day warms up. I have on a light sweatshirt to cut the chill. I've spent the past day thinking about everything that has happened since I moved in. I've made a list of everything so far. Number one, the carousel starting on its own. Number two, the piano noises I've heard when no one is there. Number three, the woman at the gate. Number four, Samantha the barista. Does that count? It's weird, but it's not in the school, so I don't know if I should include that on the list. Number five, the fact that we were the only building with power the other night. Number six, the fact that both Billy and I have dreamed about the third floor in the building, and that while our dreams were different, the descriptions of the third floor were identical. All of this is to say, it feels like there is something happening here that's worth investigating. Could line up with my investigation into the building's history, particularly the story of the removed third floor. I am skeptical about the idea of weird occurrences in general. I consider myself to be a highly analytical person and believe there is a rational explanation for everything. But the signs point to something happening at the school, and even if there is a rational explanation, I need to uncover more of the story to understand it. I decided to take this walk because I wanted to gather my thoughts without risking waking up Billy. He knows I'm concerned, but I wanted to work this out without having to worry how all of this sounds. I do think I need to connect all of the dots for him so we can both be kept apprised of the whole situation.
Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 15th, 8.10 a.m. Actual titles of books left in the library in a box labeled Donations from the Community. Spiders are our friends. Learning to love math. Mommy, why does my nose smell? Otto and the Magic Potatoes. A Children's Guide to Dostoevsky? Rocks! Note, it's literally just rocks, exclamation point, with a picture of Dwayne the Rock Johnson on the cover. Poisonous Plant Recognition Guide. Access your inner truth when your brain isn't solid yet. What does glue taste like? Why can't Daddy kiss Santa Claus and other legal questions? The One Pig with Horns. Here is a two-book set. Book one, Giraffes, Giraffes. Book two, Giraffes. Note, that is Giraffes, question mark, Giraffes, exclamation point, and then Giraffes, full stop. The Children's Big Book of Opossum Husbandry. The Solar Express. Children are no match for fire. Please don't be afraid of Steve Buscemi. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 15th, 10.30 a.m. I just received a call from Mr. Zaffer. Mr. Zaffer is the recently retired elementary school librarian of the LS Unified School District. He was the librarian here after Nana retired. She selected him for the job personally and they remain good friends to this day, with him visiting her weekly for tea. A lot of people visit her weekly for tea. In fact, he called because she told him I had moved into the school and might need to talk to someone who knows the building. But more than that, I think she wanted to make sure that I got out of the building from time to time because he invited Billy and I to join him for open mic night at the Vinewood Cafe. The Vinewood is a local dive bar that, while ostensibly not a gay bar, has numerous events that call it that into question such as pride events and screenings of Grey Gardens and Paris is Burning. My friends and I used to sneak in there in high school to watch the drag shows during the summer. Of course, it's a small enough town that the staff knew we were underage, so they wouldn't serve us anything but water. Not that we tried to drink. But they also didn't make us leave. I've always wondered why no one really objected to the Vinewood in a place like Ellis Field, but it seems to be the only business in town that hasn't changed hands half a dozen times. I left the question of the invitation up to Billy, who was open to checking out the Vinewood, so we're meeting Mr. Zaffer at 7. We'll walk up there because everything in this town is walkable, and if they have a piano, Billy might perform. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 15th, 12 p.m. Recorded in my home office, 
formerly Classroom 1A. An update on the home improvement projects I've outlined. I've ordered all of the paint and wallpaper and they have arrived. Billy and I are going to start painting tomorrow and I've got someone coming to hang wallpaper next week, starting Monday. She said it would take two to three days, but I'm not certain given the size of the school, so I'm planning for at least a week. I've settled on the slate gray paint with the peony pattern in my room. Funny enough, I woke up in the middle of the night yesterday and opened my eyes to see the room decorated in that fashion. Clearly, I was still asleep and imagining it as it changed back once I was more fully awake, but I liked the way it looked, so I decided to go that route. We're going to start in my room tomorrow, so I'll sleep in the other guest room while the paint dries. The work on the bathroom in the old girls' restroom has begun. All of the supplies have been delivered, and they are in the back hallway while the work continues. They've temporarily installed a dumpster behind the back door of the building. I've been throwing away my garbage in there as well for the time being. They said it was okay. And the food seems to have attracted an opossum, which I have named JD. So far in the bathroom, they have removed the stall doors and have started removing the old toilets and the sink. They're going to put in a new toilet and sink on Monday before they get started on the new plumbing needed for the shower and the bathtub installation. I haven't got, gone in there much, but it is very open now and the tile pattern looks even more prominent. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 15th, 2 p.m. Recorded in my formal living room, formerly Classroom 1C. Random memory and feeling. Waking up from surgery. Waking up from surgery is a bit like what I imagine struggling not to drown is like. You are fighting to keep your consciousness against the heavy anesthetic and as much as the nurse tells you that you don't have to fight it, you can sleep it off, there's some intrinsic drive inside of you to stay conscious. Waking up from surgery is not like waking up from sleep. With the latter, you know time has passed, but with the former, one minute you're in the operating theater, counting backwards, and the next the nurse is telling you that you've made it through the surgery, and that everything went well. They usually remark on whether the surgery came in over or under the expected amount of time. Sometimes, maybe always, but I'm not sure, the surgeon will talk to you after the procedure. They'll preface the talk with, you probably won't remember this, and then you don't for a while until it's years later and you're thinking about your time in the hospital and you realize that this memory has been there waiting for you to find it, and you can only find it now because you have the 10,000 foot view on things. When you wake up, you are acutely aware of the pain. It is sharp, and it feels like how you conceptually understand the procedure. By that, I mean, it is as if something inside of you knows exactly what they did and you feel it. I can't speak for every case, but every procedure I've had, they did not give me anything for the pain until I was fully awake, which further incentivizes the fight to wake up. 
You wouldn't expect it, but you're typically hungry after surgery as well. At least at first. Hunger is pain, and once they give you something for the pain you're experiencing due to the surgery, your hunger might also go away. But you're hungry at first because you have to fast in advance of the surgery, so you haven't eaten for 12 hours. When I had my surgeries, I would always have Lorna Dune shortbread after I awoke. It's funny that I would have that. I don't particularly like shortbread when it's not homemade, and shortbread is, in practical terms, not a great thing to have when you haven't had anything to drink in over 12 hours, because it's dry. But the first time I had surgery, it was the most appealing food option available, and I guess I just kept with it for sake of tradition. Unless you're having a procedure that requires dietary restrictions post-surgery, you can eat pretty much anything. I mean, I'm not that kind of a doctor, so I can't say that with certainty for everyone, but I could eat pretty much anything. After my, his my big surgery, mom got Chinese takeout on the way home. It was weird that I was home that day, but there was a big snowstorm and they didn't want me to be snowed into the hospital when insurance wouldn't cover more than a single night. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 15th, 3.17 p.m. Recorded in the hallway outside of the library and the archives, formerly Classroom 3B. After looking over the plans Melinda Basil sent from the library, something does not add up. I've got a tape measure here. Examining the plans, it seems as if the walls between each room are about two feet, allowing some space for insulation, wiring, etc. Except there seems to be more space drawn in between the library and the classroom beside it. But there's no real explanation or notation on that space. It's not labeled. It just looks like there's more space between those two walls. So it would make sense to measure the space between the doors and the hallway, and then from the door to the shared wall to determine how much space is between the walls. So I'm at the door of the library and we're measuring the wall space. There's a long bank of lockers here. We're at six feet. Twelve feet. Eighteen feet. Twenty-four feet. Okay, now I'm stepping into the archive. And... There is six feet from the door to the wall. Now, we'll step next door to the library. Okay, I'm in the library. There is six feet, 12 feet, 
so it appears as though there are six feet between the walls here. The bookshelves appear to be built in, though I could probably get a better look if I removed the books. I will explore that at a later date. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 15th, 4.30 p.m. Recorded from one of the chariots on the carousel. Okay, Billy, give it a go. Got it. I thought it would be fun to write this and think. A new perspective on things. Should I add the space between the walls to the list of strange things? Maybe when the contractor comes by on Monday, I can ask if they know anything about what to do. I don't want to damage the bookshelves or the wall if I can manage it. They'll have to know what to do, right? And now, for other matters. There's the question of what to wear to the open mic night. I don't know that I've attended a social function since graduate school, apart from events at Hollingsworth, though that hardly counts. Options. Number one, key-length black dress with long lace sleeves. Pros, gives wealthy widow vibes. Cons, Probably too formal for the event. Number two, a yellow sundress with blue flowers. Pros, appropriately summery. Cons, a little too close to the local school colors for my comfort. Number three, dark wash jeans, a green silk top, and a dark plum velvet blazer. Pros, right balance of my aesthetic with the informal nature of the event. Cons, pants. Well, I think I've given myself enough to think about for a while. I'm gonna stop recording and just enjoy the ride. He wasn't. I was. I noticed. He introduced himself. I looked scared. He wasn't. He had something to show me. We walked. He took me and showed. I had expected. We reached. He showed. He had hidden. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, June 16th, 1.30 a.m. Recorded in my formal living room, formerly Classroom 1C. Billy is here with me, too. Hi, recorder. We felt it necessary to make a recording on the evening for reasons that will soon be apparent. We just arrived home from the open mic night, or more accurately, from talking with Mr. Zaffer after the open mic night. The event itself was pretty much what you would expect it would be, an assortment of amateur musicians, poets, and one very enthusiastic interpretive dancer, with a sarcastic drag queen serving as MC. No one 
really knows Twyla Light's non-drag identity, but she seems very familiar with Ellis Field and the surrounding area, so we assume she lives nearby. After the event wrapped up, we walked next door to Pizza Depot to order a slice and then sat at the gazebo in Gazebo Park to talk about how things were going with the school. Before he left, Mr. Zaffer gave me the following letter, which, upon reading, we decided was worth making a recording. Billy, am I forgetting anything? That all sounds about right. The letter is typewritten and is about six pages long, double-spaced. Anna Georgina. Helen said that she'd moved into the schoolhouse. Her exact words were, she would move into her job. And then we were slightly glared at by a nurse for laughing. What world do we live in where two retired Midwestern librarians are shushed by a nurse? We are the most respected shushers in the hierarchy. It took me a few weeks after you left not to be aware of your absence at your favorite study desk after you sat there your entire life. More students rushed in to fill the space left behind and altered it by degrees until it was theirs. Spending your career watching people develop dreams makes you very aware of the moment that we inhabit in someone's personal history. You left during a crisis And, as someone who moved here during a crisis, I understand how hard it is to settle into spaces after. Each new place felt freeing for as long as I've escaped definition in it, and so I hope that the new place being old doesn't trap you into your past. You moved to a city in order to build lives and selves that didn't have to use tradition as solution. So much of your old self was left behind in the surgery, and Helen and I are so proud of what has grown in those emptied spaces. People said I was retiring with the library, and I didn't understand the scale until I finally locked the library door goodnight for the final time. My intent ran the space until the first wave of small shifts. A stack of boxes, scattered packing tape rolls on tables you do not need to clean now, Seeing the back of a shelf I had only peeked at between reference books. I had never felt the air change so acutely in the library before. With the hallway around me, I stumbled a little bit as a small hand behind me tugged on the bottom of my shirt. They yanked as I turned and the motion tore something small from my awareness of the world. I wasn't made lesser. I just had a little patch of my old landscape pulled out as new grass grew, and the part of me that didn't need to exist anymore did not. It was a fitting end to that relationship with myself as the librarian. After all, the process of inhabiting a space with new intent begins when you both cede control and the other's ideas become equal forces. That's how you learn to live within your first home instead of living in comfortable corners that you control within the whole structure. I first started to feel at home in the library by letting the library choose me, one day at a time. Trust me, with a building that big and designed to carry sound, most people need to adjust to the sense of scale. 
I remember you enjoying an introductory structure when studying new lines of thought. So here is an exercise Helen and I used in the library to adjust working alone with these echoes. Sit in one spot with a T, listening to the types of silence until you can differentiate between them. You'll be able to feel the weight of the silence and the shape of it as it presses around you. Shift that awareness to the distribution of active and passive energy in your posture. Widen your focus over time to feel both your body and the air and start to move your body against and with the air. Track the trail of your movement and feel what fills the air in each room. Do this in the entire school and you'll feel connected to the legacy in each room. There's been generations of dancing, conscious behavior, unconscious reactions in this building. It has to thrive on life and joy as the catalyst of, for the strength needed to raise so many dreams. You've made your life studying that translated into the theory of the school building, and now you get to build and experience it from your own base. I'm so proud of you and what you'll build. If you start to lose track of the size of the world during the introductory exercise, drink the tea as a grounding point. Also, don't prioritize the basement. It's a death trap down there, and those patches of original dirt floor are so uneven that anything near there falls out hard enough to break older boxes and go everywhere. After too many falls, we made it a library policy not to store supplies in the basement and there were so many generations of supplies stacked together. The worst ones were the ones that fell after dark. The first time Helen and I stayed late to have a drink and catch up on backlog work, it was the day before the first county book fair was coming to our library, for which you are welcome. There are two types of late night work for me, muddled by pressure or running on electric edges. We were young enough to still be able to experience the second, so we celebrated our first late night shift as a chance to transform from a joyful new team effort to a steely backbone team in the face of the book fair the next day. It was after midnight as we were finishing up the coffee and whiskey that we heard a loose thud and a sharply edged crash. Normally, I'd assume we had heard a natural event, but we had a cash box sale happening the next day and the town knew that, so someone in a spot of need might have come looking for it. After pushing so hard for this to happen, we were not getting ruined by someone else's issue on the day before. So we picked up the whiskey bottle, two pairs of scissors, and a meter stick, and we went to look at every room. Every room was clear of broken anything. Every room was as clean as it would be left. And there's no one. There's nothing. But the basement doors open a bit, with a bit of light and the air is denser around it. I'm becoming a little clammy with sweat, and Helen is almost ready to swing that bottle at someone's torso. Even the light around us was saturated like it was hitting the surfaces at a slightly off window. We both went to the door because I am not capable of kissing the amount of social political ass needed in order to recover from causing a break in a public institution. We rolled our shoulders. She raised her whiskey bottle and I my ruler and went down those bent wooden steps. The shape of the stairs looked like the wood went at itself, 
a bit too gnarled to be fully under your feet. The bare bulbs made spots of light that swung slightly under our shadows as we went past them. We stopped around one of the dirt patches. By then, Helen was convinced that we were either being invaded by Satan himself or an opossum, and neither was good for our professional standing. So here we were. Trying to look ready for either, we nodded and stepped into the darkness between our patch of light and the patch of light that had fallen and a torn pile of boxes scattered across it. It wasn't our files in the boxes that had broken and there was nothing hard enough to make that crash. The cracks went down the fallen tower of boxes and bulging out of them were navy blue fabric veins of school sweaters and sweatshirts from every era. They were in bad shape, gnawed and ripped where they protruded most, but maybe the other items would be in good enough shape to make a display tomorrow of a gesture of political goodwill. We started to gently pull them out, but they wouldn't come out one at a time. Their sleeves were knotted together. Every sweater came out a little shredded and clinging to one another a little deeper in the box. By then, we'd split into one person pulling and one person untying, and we're dropping them into piles based on era. Helen has the same hmm as you, and it was aimed fully at those sweaters. They were landing wrong, though. When we looked at each pile, we saw a dozen to a couple dozen sweaters huddled as if crumpled piles of poses around each other. Some looked to be cowering with the hems of their sleeves tucked into the sleeves of other sweaters. Some were in front with shoulders slightly rolled back. One was wrapped around the sleeve and the body of another sweater and looked to be pulling them back. The light was still landing wrong. I think I heard the air buzzing in my head. The ground felt like it was pitched differently and we grabbed hands and hauled out of that vile basement with scared sweaters and terrible storage and swore not to keep any of the library down there. If anything else comes out of the boxes on you, can I please refer you to Sarah Sampson? Sarah was two grades behind you and is in Canada studying art conservation, but comes home every quarter. She's been looking for any opportunity for professional development and the field is so competitive. Before you ask, she's a few hours from my hometown of Toronto. I wasn't allowed to say until the end of the letter, but the movement advice was from Helen. She encouraged me to write to you at this point of moving in, saying you were likely being driven up the wall by your mother's aggressive compliance. Apparently, Helen has snared herself a pack of cards and a few pairs of sunglasses. I would gently suggest that you visit her on your own soon, bring poker chips, and prepare for her to launch a family poker night as a response to every decision in her life lately being extremely rational and medically sustainable. Since I was going to suggest this when I saw you next, I would love to see what you've done with the library. Why don't you invite me around in a month's time? I'll bring photos of the library over the years and high-end treats for the dogs. Love, your god librarian, Charles Zaffer. P.S. Helen always wanted the library office door hidden behind a bookshelf of murder mysteries, 
and you've always excelled at developing and building the best iterations of ideas. Don't tell your peers I said that about you and not them. That's unsettling, right? Why does the basement seem to keep coming up? Tomorrow, let's go take a look. Let's go down there now. AG, I do not think this is a good idea. Could this wait until the morning when there is more light? We could, but I need to stop procrastinating. I've got a lantern. Okay, it's about 2.30 in the morning. We are in the basement. I'm standing at the edge of the basement. I'm shining the light around. Okay, I'm not 100% certain, but when I went to the basement the other day, I could have sworn these things were in different places. There's a file sitting out on top of the file cabinet over there. It looks like someone wiped away the dust around it. Was it like this when you were last down here? No, that's new... I think I can get to it. I just need to get around. Ellis East Elementary School walkthrough, May 18th. In the bookshelf, there are a few boxes of educational toys and a handful of teacher's editions of math, social studies, and science textbooks, grades one through five. There is a manila envelope labeled lesson plans. There is a large floor globe in the southwest corner of the classroom by the bookshelves. On the chalkboard is a drawing of two diamonds side by side linked at the corner. Now that I have finished examining the front portion of the first floor, I will walk to the back portion of the building to investigate the principal's office. Lavender Evening Fog is a fiction podcast. This episode was written by Victoria Dickman Burnett and Ben Baird, directed by Ben Baird, and produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Federico. Executive producers are Ben Baird and Victoria Dickman Burnett. The voice of Anna Georgina Plume is Victoria Dickman Burnett, and the voice of Billy is Nick Federico. The Lavender Evening Fog logo was designed by Allison Dickman. This episode is brought to you by a new friend of mysterious origin. This episode pairs well with mint kombucha, which I guess counts as a type of tea. This concludes Lavender Evening Fog Season 1. Season 2 will begin on Halloween 2021. Thank you.